0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Holly Fry,
0: and I'm Tracy V. Wilson.
1: And I feel like we should both confess up front on this one that we both have cats.
0: We do, but we also love dogs. Uh, Whoops! <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I don't love dogs; it's that I prefer cats.
1: Oh. I like them both quite a bit. Yeah. I don't have dogs.
0: Well, I think part of it is that when I was growing up, my mother had Cocker Spaniels. Uh-huh. Cocker Spaniels are crazy. Some of them. And we had Cocker Spaniels that bit. Oh, yeah. Because that doesn't
1: create a good association. They were crazy.
0: So, <laughs> The dogs that I had around all the time as a child were these like high-strung, neurotic Cocker Spaniels Aww. that, uh, in some cases, bit.
1: Uh, we, I grew up with dogs as well. My mm-hmm. parents bred hunting dogs and a variety of other animals. Um, but I have cats as an adult. And what is really fascinating to me is the history of cat domestication because it is so different from any other animal we've domesticated. Yeah, can, I didn't notice until today. It's really pretty um, interesting and genetically it's fascinating. So just for a little bit of context on the state of cats in the world... Uh, One-third of American households have cats, which is quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've read a statistic previously, but I couldn't find it to back this up. But I recall at one point in recent years someone saying that – um the number of cats kept as pets has actually surpassed dogs in the United States recently. Hmm. And it's mostly because of people like me and you that have more than one. Right, uh, Whereas often people will just have one dog.
0: Well, and I was kind of wondering about the trend of people not wanting to buy homes and living in apartments. And often it is easier to keep a cat in an apartment than a dog.
1: That's true. Uh, sometimes you don't have to pay a fee to keep a cat, but you do for a dog uh, in an apartment. Like there will be an additional rider. So that mm-hmm. makes sense. Uh, there are an estimated 600 million cats living with humans around the world. And another estimated 600 million living independent of people. Like, that are either feral or, uh, fairly tame, but like street cats mm-hmm. that just kind of do their thing on their own. What we call strays. Yeah. And because cats are independent and they're predators, I mean, we've all seen cats stalk their prey, they kind of get vilified a little bit in some cultures. Well, and
0: it's not just that they're predators, it's that often they play with their prey yeah. in a way that seems cruel to people. Yeah, there's
1: it does seem evil if you've ever seen a cat kind of play with a thing that is trying to get away from it. Right. And so as a consequence, they've been portrayed as, you know, the familiars of supervillains and they have been associated with devils and sorcery. Uh, but overall, they still have a pretty okay standing. Cats are divided into three genera. There are the great cats, which are lions, tigers, leopards, jaguars. Cheetahs get their own. And then small cats.
0: All house cats belong in the Felis catus genus. The largest cat in this group is the Puma at one hundred to one hundred and thirty pounds or forty five to fifty nine kilograms. And the smallest is the black footed cat of the Kalahari Desert in southern Africa, which is between two and a half and four and a half pounds, or one to two kilograms.
1: If you Google those things, they are the cutest cats you've ever seen.
0: They're teeny. And they
1: look a lot like the cats we would keep in our homes. Mm-hmm. Uh they are and there's a reason for that. Uh, So we're focusing today on that third group and how members of Felis catus became domesticated.
0: For a long time, it's been believed that the ancient Egyptians were the first people to domesticate cats. There's certainly lots of evidence that the uh, ancient Egyptians loved cats. But the belief that that's where they came from has shifted a little bit thanks to more recent genetic studies.
1: The earliest artistic representations of cats that we found have been in ancient Egypt, on Crete, in Cyprus, and in some areas of the Orient. And there are also cat statues uh, in some of the ancient
0: art of India. In 1983, an 8,000-year-old feline jawbone was found on the island of Cyprus. A site 1,500 years earlier than that was discovered on Cyprus in 2004, where a cat had been buried with a human.
1: And it was very clearly like that they had been buried together. Right. Uh, not that he happened to be adjacent. And since Cyprus is an island and wild cats would be very difficult to travel with on a boat, it stands to reason that cats were actually domesticated before they got there, uh, as they are not believed to be a native species to Cyprus.
0: So uh, people would have gotten the cats to be more manageable. And then taken them with a the boat to Cyprus because yes. there were not already cats on Cyprus. That's Correct. how that boils down.
1: So Carlos A. Driscoll, who is an Oxford scholar that we'll talk about a lot more shortly because he's done a lot of work in the area of cat genetics uh, and their history, he has stated the following on this. Quote, the going hypothesis is that cats were brought there, meaning to Cyprus, very early on in the domestication process by Phoenician traders and settlers directly from the Phoenician home around Lebanon not from Egypt, as were British cats by Rome. That fact makes the island cats very interesting, as they may represent a sort of proto-domestic cat. So, as you said, tame enough that they could be handled, managed, and put on a ship of people. If you've ever tried to handle a feral cat, you know it's super
0: tricky. So they really would have to be... um, At least kind of used to people. Yeah. Especially because then you're getting in a boat. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And what makes the domestication of cats unique is that they likely chose to live with humans. They saw a benefit to themselves. And so they kind of moved into human culture rather than being identified as human by humans as a potential beneficial animal and then being caught and domesticated.
0: And if you're a cat person, this probably does not surprise you one bit. Even if you're not a cat. The cats were like, hey, I live here now. (laughs) And the people were like, "Uh, "Okay, Yeah. So the human culture shift from being hunter-gatherers to a more agricultural lifestyle started the domestication of animals. The earliest motive for breeding animals was as a food source, but that was not... not. Cats don't really do that. No, they are not really made to be food. They're very small, but they're great in vermin management. So they naturally assumed that role as agricultural societies developed.
1: So yeah, basically granaries meant that cats were moving in to hunt rodents. Yeah, and it's believed that cats were probably really welcomed by the early farmers for this helpful service. Uh, and this actually may be how Egypt came came to really revere the cat. Like they recognized that of their own volition, cats were just coming in and doing this thing that society really needed. Yeah, and so that was part of their um, growth as a, a very respected and loved animal,
0: keeping the rats out of the grain. Yeah.
1: And some evidence actually suggests that the Ethiopians were the ones that brought cats into Egypt after they conquered the Nubians, which is a whole other area of history that I would like to do more podcasts on.
0: As we know, the artistic representation of cats in Egypt are not all about their use as the rodent police. Cats are depicted as part of family life, and they're pampered and even adorned with jewels. The penalty for killing a cat in ancient Egypt was death. There have even been discoveries of special cat cemeteries in Egypt. And lastly, the Egyptian protector goddess Bastet is a woman with the head of a cat.
1: As an interesting side note, the Egyptian word for cat is Mao. And there's actually a breed that's recognized uh, globally in cat shows called an Egyptian Mao, but it's basically just saying it's an Egyptian cat, which I think is funny. Uh, and they're lovely cats.
0: The exact point of the transition from wild to domesticated in Egypt can't really be pinpointed with accuracy. Logic tells us that it would have been a gradual process with each generation of cats living alongside people becoming more and more tame.
1: And there's also a theory that breeding really began around this time uh, with cats so that they were they kind of forked the cat uh, population. They were breeding the wilder cats and the more predatory cats as their hunters to keep policing for rodents in the grain. And then they were also probably breeding the more docile cats together to create house cats. Uh, that would be, you know, part of their family and their households.
0: And maybe also <laughs> keeping the rodents out of the inside.
1: Yeah, that's always a benefit. Uh, but they probably were bred to be cuddly.
0: Yeah, as a side note, I, I, uh, my cats have mostly been rescues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember specifically, you know, because this whole idea of cats being good at handling rodent, rodents is so prevalent that I have often had to sign a thing saying that I'm not getting this cat to be a mouser. Yeah. I'm getting this cat to be a companion.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's not uncommon with rescue groups. Um, because most rescues want you to be adopting it as a family member and not as a worker. Right. So uh we know that by... Uh, 2000 BCE, cats were semi-domesticated, but by 1000 BCE, cats, particularly in Egypt, were considered fully domesticated. They were accustomed to being around humans, and humans had a pretty friendly relationship with them.
0: Yeah. So although cats were domesticated centuries ago, the idea of a pedigree is still pretty young. That probably started in England sometime in the mid to late 19th century. Queen Victoria owned two blue Persians, which is believed to be one of the... Things that gave the the cat a reputation for being a perfectly respectable pet.
1: And the first cat show took place in London in 1871, and England's National Cat Club was actually founded in 1884.
0: The first pedigree records in the United States were for Maine Coon cats in the mid 1800s. This breed is still one of the most popular in America. It is. They're beautiful. Uh, but even with the
1: popularity of pedigree cats, it's estimated that less than 10 percent of cats in American households are purebred compared to more than 50 percent of dogs in American households. So, I mean, most people that you know that have cats, they're just cats.
0: It's a they're domestic just short hair. Cats.
1: Yeah, they get listed in your vet records as domestic short hair because yeah. they usually are just mixes. Uh, you know, uh, different cities are trying to control their feral populations different ways, but a lot of times rescue groups will scoop them up and socialize them and adopt them out. So there really isn't any uh, knowledge of their lineage and where they came from.
0: So how did we get from wild animals to fluffy lap friends all over the world?
1: Uh, Well, this is interesting. From a genetic standpoint, we have had sort of a startling revelation about it. Um, It's really hard to track uh, where cats entered human homes and culture uh versus where wild cats are because the skeletons of small wild cats and our domestic cats are virtually identical they're really hard to tell apart so you can't really contextualize like if you find a cat in ruins it could have wandered in later it could have been part of the thing we don't know it looks like a wild cat well they all look the same so you can't really do that and even dna testing is not always conclusive because all cats have really similar genetics
0: there are 37 species in the family Felidae. That's everything from a pet cat to lions, tigers, ocelots, who are my favorite wildcat, etc. Every domestic cat is a descendant of the wildcat species.
1: And there are five subspecies of wildcats, and some of those are almost completely indistinguishable from, you know, your non-pedigreed pet cats. And this is not a situation where the domestic cats have gotten free and reverted to becoming feral or they've, you know, become strays or they've just wandered off. The actual wild breeds are so genetically similar to house cats that many people could not distinguish on visual alone. We'll see wild cats that look just like a cat your friend
0: has. Stephen J. O'Brien, a molecular geneticist at the National Cancer Institute's laboratory in Frederick, Maryland, was working with Carlos Driscoll, who's a graduate student at the University of Oxford, and David McDonald, an Oxford zoologist, and others. Together, they conducted a study in 2007 in which they took blood and tissue samples from all kinds of cats, from the purebred house cats to non-pedigreed house cats to feral cats, uh, and each of the five subspecies of wild cats to compare their DNA.
1: And they took those from all over the world. Uh, and a Washington Post article about the study stated, quote, The findings, drawn from an analysis of nearly 1,000 cats around the world, suggested that the ancestors of today's tabbies, Persians and Siamese wandered into near eastern settlements at the dawn of agriculture. They were looking for food, not friendship.
0: The researchers found that domesticated cats all over the world most closely resemble the Libica subspecies that comes from the Near East. This is significant because it shows that it's not a case of any given region simply taming their local wildcats. The other wildcat subspecies are in sub-Saharan Africa, China, Central Asia, and Europe. But domestic cats in Asia, for example, are still most closely related to wild cats from the Fertile Crescent, rather than from the Chinese or Central Asian subspecies. So that's pretty interesting
1: uh, to know that somehow those cats that started in, you know, kind of the cradle of civilization are the cats that really populated the world. They weren't just regionally adapting. Right. They were getting sent around and spreading uh, with agriculture. So other domesticated animals like cattle, pigs, horses, etc., all have more diverse genetic profiles. So they were being bred and domesticated in multiple different places, but it seems like the domestic cat seems to have come almost entirely from the Near East, which is really startling to think about. You know, we have this animal that is seen all over the world. Every city, every town has cats in it, but they all trace back to this one place versus...
0: Versus their local wild population of cats. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Evolutionary biologist at the University of California in Los Angeles, Robert Wayne, told the Washington Post that, quote, when the technology, which means agriculture, development, grain storage, etc., was transferred to other cultures, so were the cats. So he's suggesting that as cultures taught one another about how to raise grain and store it, they were also including cats as part of that package.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's like saying, okay, here's the best way to do this and the best way to store this, and you're going to want some cats. We have some for you. Uh, So they were spreading culturally with
0: knowledge. (laughs) I love that. It's like passing on your heirloom tomato (laughs) seeds, except with a living, breathing responsibility. Yeah. Uh,
1: And uh, Carlos Driscoll, who we mentioned earlier, and his team have planned to follow up their 2007 study uh, with an additional study to verify or disprove this concept. But I haven't found any published stuff that uh, deals with
0: it yet. Also of note on the 2007 study is that there was genetic evidence of domesticated and wildcat hybrids, Wild and non-wild cats are so closely related that they can easily mix. So even though Felis libica is the closest relative of all domestic cats, breeding with other subspecies has led to the development of different breeds.
1: So, for example, members of the group Felis libica, which is usually a leaner, lither cat adapted to desert living, uh, are believed to have mated with Felis sylvestris, which is a stockier subspecies that's common in Western and Central Europe, to have created kind of the cobier breeds that have since been refined through pedigree breeding, like a British Shorthair uh, or a Manx or a Chartreux. If you look at any of those show cats, you know, purebred show cats, they're thicker and heavier and they don't look the same as, uh, you know, kind of the leaner, like an Abyssinian or uh, any of the, the kind of lithe breeds. They have like a, a little bit of a huskier appearance. Yeah. So there was some mixing going on. And it's actually, this is a little bit of a side note, I believe that cats were first brought to Britain, which probably catalyzed some of that breeding, uh, by the Romans around 10 CE. And so that's when this crossbreeding started to happen and different species that we eventually turned into purebred, I'm using the air quotes, pedigreed cats, uh, all started, all catalyzed right there. Yeah.
0: Various mutations and crossbreedings have occurred that give us the assortment of pedigreed cat breeds that there are today. So Siamese, cats, and Burmese are the result of an albino series mutation. Rex breeds have a curly hair mutation. The hairless sphinx and the ear mutation of the Scottish Fold and the American Curl, all of these come from breeding and mutation.
1: Yeah, and if you ever want, like, a fascinating walk down, like breed specifics and mutations that have purposely been retained through breeding, go to a cat show. It's one of my favorite things. I do at least one every year because I think people that have never been to one and they've only been around like, you know, your regular house cat, they're a little bit blown away by how different all of these cats sort of look and how they've been.
0: And how they behave. Yeah. A lot of them have deeply different behaviors. Yeah,
1: but it all started... In the same place, which is, and genetically they are all so close. I mean, they're tiny little changes in their genetic code that create all of these very different looking breeds, but at their base, they're really all very, very close genetically. Yeah.
0: And it all came from the Fertile Crescent. Yeah. Do you have Do you have a favorite historical cat? Mmm. That's tricky. You hear a lot more about people's dogs in history you than cats, do. because often you know dogs are out with people, riding in cars yeah. and saving the day. Cats are at home by the fire. Well, I was even startled to learn that Queen Victoria had cats.
1: Yeah. Because I'm kind of a Queen Victoria nerd, but you always hear about her and her dogs. Mm-hmm. And this, doing research for this is actually the first time I heard about her cats. Yeah. I was like, whoa, they had cats too? But I don't think I have a favorite historical.
0: Mine I was, is. I have a favorite from recent history. Yeah. Which is, is Coco's kitten all ball.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Who was a Manx? Oh, uh, yeah. And that was, they, they wondered if the reason that Coco the gorilla, Picked a Manx for a cat is because that kitty had no tail.
1: Yeah. So if you don't know about the Manx breed, they have, they can have all lengths of tails, but the breed ideal is to have no tail.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so they do look kind of like little balls. The, the breed standard, if you go to a show, one of the things that they're looking for is that the cat could be drawn entirely with a series of circles. Like you want all round shapes about its body. Yeah. Uh, so it would make sense that Coco identified it as a ball, which is very
0: sweet. Uh, it's a sad story.
1: Way to bring the room down, Tracy.
0: I know. Well, we'll bring it up with a little public service announcement. Please stay in New your pet.
1: Please do. Uh, oh, it's super important to me. Super important to you know. We don't need more stray animals. There are plenty of stray cats in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: that being pretty much all of the cats I have ever had in my life have either have either been rescues or strays that were taken in. Yep, mine are or rescues. They would have become strays had I not taken them in.
1: Yep. Yep, I'm a big fan of uh, adopting rescues, although I am always wowed and, like I said, blown away by the interesting shapes and beauty and behaviors of uh, any of the purebred cats. So, But stay and neuter your pets. It's important. Yes. Take care of them. It's good for their health.
0: I believe you also have some mail to read.
1: I do. Our Happy Birthday episode has gotten so much mail, which is all cool. Uh, and I have a couple that I want to read. One is uh, from our listener, Mike, and he is from St. Louis. And he says, ladies, I was catching up on the podcast. And while listening to the Happy Birthday to You podcast, you mentioned The Simpsons. That would be me. I always mention The Simpsons. You said that the Simpsons did a different version so they wouldn't have to pay a license fee. On at least two occasions, Happy Birthday to You has been performed on the show. One time was just the first line where Mr. Smithers has a thought about Mr. Burns popping out of a cake and singing it to him. I remember that. Me too. The other time was when one of my favorite bands from my misspent youth, uh, the Ramones, played it for Mr. Burns. This resulted in one of the best lines ever, which was, Have the Rolling Stones killed? I love Mr. Burns. I have a cat named after him. So we've made it thematic. Uh, yes, of course, you're absolutely right. And I had forgotten about those. I was just speculating. The yeah. one that I was referring to is when they go to a children's pizza amusement kind of establishment. And they have it's kind of based on the old um, Chuck E. Cheese and showbiz pizza and all of those kinds of things that were Popular, more popular I think when I was younger. Some of them still exist, but they had the big animatronic animals that mm-hmm. did the, you're the birthday, you're the, and that's, and one of them's head popped off. It was well, horrifying and, the, and wonderful.
0: There's the one where Moe turns Moe's into a family restaurant.
1: He's turned Moe's into many things. Yeah. You know, one of those are like a postmodern, um, experimental bar.
0: Well, in, in this one he, he had to sing a song with a french fry basket on his head. Oh yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so The Simpsons, I I mean, if any show can afford to pay licensing on Happy Birthday, it's them. And I was just not thinking about those. So thank you, Mike, for that correction. I love me some Simpsons. Uh, Our next letter, also about Happy Birthday, is from our listener Novella. And she says, it's a trick to know that Happy Birthday is still under copyright. One thing I couldn't help wondering during the whole podcast is whether or not Marilyn Monroe had to pay to use the song. Referencing the famous singing of her t- uh, when she sang it very um, in a very sultry way to the president, which is also what Mr. Burns was spoofing when he came out of the cake in yes. Mr. Smithers' fantasy. There were many people who were wondering this while we were doing that episode. <laughs> uh, and Novella says, "Were there any ramifications of her singing a copyrighted song, especially especially in such a gasp, sensuous manner?" And I couldn't find any hard evidence online, so what I did is I went to a lawyer and asked them what they thought. And it's a a person that I know who is not practicing, but she's licensed, and her kind of area of expertise is copyright and intellectual property. And her thinking, and I also found another lawyer online that kind of was of the same mindset, is that large venues like Madison Square Garden, which is where that performance happened, have a blanket ASCAP license. And they basically just get a bill every month for usage of any licensed music and so it probably showed up somewhere as a line item on a bill and it got paid without a second yeah. thought and it's never really been recorded in history as right Marilyn paid for this it probably was just a matter of simple paperwork
0: yeah it took place at Madison Square Garden there were many 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 people in attendance so it was definitely a public performance and it was broadcast yes and and while like she did kind of adapt it a little bit <laughs> to be <laughs> Seductive. Uh, It it still pretty much follows that song. It's It's a
1: stylized version of that song. So that is what we discovered about "Happy Birthday" in Marilyn Monroe. Because many people did write us. Yeah, we got lots of letters. Yeah. So that's that's what we learned is that it's probably just somewhere in an accountant's ledger. Um, Paid for and done. Yep. So that's the scoop. If you would like to write us. Uh, about happy birthday or cats or anything else. You can do so at historypodcast at discovery.com. We're also on Twitter at Missed in history and on Facebook at facebook.com slash historyclassstuff. You can find us on Tumblr at missedinhistory.tumblr.com and on Pinterest. Uh, and if you would like to learn more about today's topic, you can go to our uh, website and type in the word domestication and, uh, you will come up with how animal domestication works. If you would like to learn about that or any other subject that you can come up with, you should come and do that at our website, which is HowStuffWorks.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Netflix streams TV shows and movies directly to your home, saving you time, money, and hassle. As a Netflix member, you can instantly watch TV episodes and movies streaming directly to your PC, Mac, or right to your TV with your Xbox 360, PS3, or Nintendo Wii console, plus Apple devices, Kindle, and Nook. Get a free 30-day trial membership. Go to www.netflix.com and sign up now.